the reality of the situation is sports social is an unconquered category right now and we're leading the way Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and normally I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Favorito, but he's actually doing some real business today. He's out at a meeting and couldn't make it, so I'll do this one solo. Uh, but I'm excited to do this one solo in a way because we are going to be getting into a topic that is near and dear to my heart, both in my teaching and in my, my day job, which is digital media and social media. So um, we're really pleased, I'm really pleased to be joined by a young entrepreneur today who some of you may have been getting to know these last few months because their company has been getting a lot of press. Um, but he is the, and I'm gonna say his name in a second, but I'll just say this. He is actually doing something that is really ambitious. He and his co-founder and his team have built a social media network dedicated solely to sports, which is a really cool idea. Uh, it exists, it's called Pressed Sports. And the individual we're talking to today is the co-founder and CEO, Conrad Cornell. Welcome, Conrad. Thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate it. Yeah, psyched to get into this conversation. I'm gonna start by reading something for everybody, for the edification of everybody listening about your business, because I thought this was actually good copy. So what I'm referring to is the copy that's written in the App Store. I, I'm one of those nerds that reads all the copy of applications in the App Store because I've been involved in helping write that copy for certain products, and it's a real challenge. This one is actually really, really uh, well done, Conrad. So I just want to read it for everybody because at the, at the very least, it uh, will explain to the uninitiated um, what you're trying to do here, and then you can explain it. So this is from the App Store for Press Sports. Press Sports believes every athlete has a story worth sharing. More than 200,000 athletes and 1,500 college coaches use the platform to connect with each other and share highlights across all levels and sports. Think TikTok for sports with the purpose of LinkedIn for athletes and coaches. Press provides a platform where users can have agency over telling their individual sports journeys. Athletes share their footage for the press sports community to engage and connect with them. So that's only part of the copy, but well done, Conrad. What's interesting to me, because I know, I know your backstory, I read about your backstory, I've had the good fortune of meeting you before, but this came from a personal experience. You were a D1 athlete at Mercer University, baseball player, and it sounds like you dealt with some of the pain points that many athletes, at least back then, were dealing with. So, so talk about the origin story here. Yeah, one hundred percent had had a uh, had experienced all the pain points that we're you know working to solve for today. It, it kind of goes back a long time, actually. My co-founder Drew Williams and I were best friends from a from a young age, um, growing up playing all these different sports together in Atlanta. Uh, football, baseball, basketball, and you know we were going up through middle school, high school, and it was about eighth grade. I like my dream was to play college baseball, um, and so you know we continued to play against each other. I was playing in all the right tournaments over summer um, on the travel teams, and had like seven Division One commits on my high school team in my class. Um, 
for baseball. And I was like the leadoff hitter and number one pitcher and graduated with no college offers. So it's like an extremely frustrating recruiting experience for me. I didn't have anyone really guiding me. I wasn't getting myself out there outside of just playing in games. Um, and I continued to play after senior year um, that summer and ended up getting a full ride to Mercer uh, just one month before school started my freshman year. So it all panned out. I didn't have plans to go to college until a month before school started. Um, fast forward four years and I'm talking to Drew. Um, we're kind of reflecting on our career. She was a great high school player. We played against each other. He actually beat me in the state championship our junior year in like a high school rivalry game with 4,000 people there. It was pretty, pretty wild. Um, and we're just talking about like, man, we have these Instagram pages that are the photo albums of our lives, like all of our favorite social memories on there. Photos from, you know, the biggest games um, or leading up to them. And, you know, why didn't we post highlights along the way? Why is there no footage of touchdowns or home runs or, or big strikeouts? Um, where, where is it all? Because we had access to it at various points in the past and just did nothing with it. And now, now it's gone. Um, but we posted, we felt comfortable posting all these um, photos and, and social memories. And we realized there's this negative stigma around sports, uh, around sharing sports highlights on social media that prevented us from posting out all our achievements. It's like you're, you, you're nervous of what your friend's going to think um, if you post too many sports highlights or you're branding yourself in a way where people are only going to think of you as a, you know, as a baseball player or whatever sports you play. And we, you look around and there's no athlete from any level or sport around the world that has an easy to access profile with footage of what they consider to be their most memorable athletic achievements um, from, you know, the start of their career to wherever they made it to. And so, you know, we looked at LinkedIn and Facebook and we're like, man, professionals have LinkedIn and Facebook accounts and they post totally different types of content to their friends than they do their connections on LinkedIn. And it was clear athletes needed a platform where they could build a fan base and, you know, feel comfortable self-promoting these athletic achievements. And it was super evident that if I had had a profile um, that, you know, had all of my you know, football achievements, all the weightlifting achievements, all the baseball practice footage and game footage, you know, coaches would have been able to come and see me play and say, all right, didn't come to the best game, the guy hustles, but hey, two weeks ago, he hit a home run and he back squats 400 pounds. Like that's a kid I probably want to come back and watch again, um, you know, at least, or I could be sending out my profile to coaches. And so, you know, and Drew uh, didn't want to play in college, but he still wants all those memories to look back on. They're still gone for him as well. And so we started building it our senior year of college um, and launched uh, MVP that was built in India a day after graduation our senior year. Well, I didn't realize that you did it that soon after leaving school. That's crazy. So you, you, I, I read in some of the stuff that, that's been published about you guys that you actually went out and surveyed schools, athletes and coaches in schools, junior high and high school. Could you talk about that? Because that was seemed like a very shrewd move to help get like a proof of concept before you started spending too much time or money. That was such a funny experience. Like we, yeah, we, we did. We had two middle schools and two high schools, one private, one public for both middle school and high school. We had over 2000 paper responses that were administered to homeroom classes. And like I, we got shut down by like four different schools. I was walking into these principal's office. They're like, who the hell is this guy? It's like trying to convince them to administer this survey to homerooms. Um, and, you know, finally, four, we got, we got 
um, four of them. And it was like 99% of female athletes said they were uncomfortable posting sports highlights on mainstream social media and 85% of male athletes. And so it kind of averaged out to about 90% of athletes said they were uncomfortable self-promoting highlights on social media. And that was in 2018. I think, you know, things change. Like there's been a huge emphasis on building your brand socially. And I would say like, you know, those numbers have probably shifted down, but definitely not to a point that eliminates the problem. People still feel uncomfortable, um, you know, posting them out and maybe they will, but like, it's going to still has to be like, quote unquote, Instagram worthy, which not everyone has Instagram worthy highlights. So, so Conrad, when you and Drew were doing this overtime sports already existed and there was a similar vibe feel of this opportunity to essentially have a platform that allows all athletes and in their case, it was a lot of basketball to create content, share it and see kind of what happens with it. It wasn't necessarily about getting recruited per se, but they built up a nice business across a bunch of different platforms. Did you use them as a, an inspiration or as a motivation as you were developing this? I think like, yeah, cause they actually shut down their app shortly after we got going. But when we were in like the ideation phase and trying to figure out how to convince, um, you know, our original angel investor to, to, like get two 22 year olds fifty thousand dollars to get an app built in india yeah well, they were in our deck they were in our slides or um at, at that time it was just like a 20 page word document um but you know one thing that we like playing around with their app a ton it was super clear that these athletes that had profiles on overtime they were the best basketball players in the country but none of the content on their profiles was posted by them mm-hmm. and so what overtime was doing was they were sending out cameramen to all these games and they had, you know, fully baked profiles for all the top basketball players in the country and some of the top football players, but none of the content was user generated. And so there wasn't like, there, it's not like that those athletes were highly engaged in their app. It's like, you kind of, what, what's tough is you, you have limited resources early on. I mean, you, we still have super limited resources uh, and you've got to convince, you know, really good athletes to use your app over um you know apps that are built by instagram facebook twitter with like 400 person dev teams right yeah i mean that's and and that's a key difference obviously they were using third-party platforms for all the expressions of their different media that they were that was being created by their hired hands as well as the contributors and the difference here, of course, is an important one that we should talk about, because obviously you had the vision to look at it a different way, which is to say you're building your own platform. And, you know, anybody who hears the word platform knows who knows digital media knows that's a huge commitment. A platform requires a great technical infrastructure, requires marketing, requires customer acquisition, um, retention, marketing, uh, and basically all the customer service that goes along with having direct relationships with consumers. But that was fair to say, Conrad, for you and Drew, that was a central premise of building press, let's say, compared to some of the others that were out there that were using just social platforms. Yeah, ours was always about telling your own story. Um, We never wanted to, we never at any point have had the vision of going out and collecting all the content for our users. It's telling them about the app we did this like early on and we still do it. Um, like we literally have heads of sports and every team sport um, that are part-time 
grinding in the DM, sending Instagram voice messages to top athletes, telling them about the app and to get on there and upload all their highlights. So at the end of their career, they're together in one place. And the response we get, you know, 90% of the time when somebody opens up the messages, that's awesome. I want to do that. I want to tell my story. I want to document it all in one place. So once you guys actually got the app built, how did you start to acquire users? That was that was what we did. I mean, we graduated college. I uh, Drew was doing some drop shipping stuff. We couldn't pay ourselves, um, obviously, because we were like pretty much in debt the whole time. Um, I got a job stacking luggage at Delta, and we would work together for half the day, and then we go to the other jobs and. And we just send Instagram voicemails to the athletes and tell them about it. Um, just like make a personal connection with them. Like, yo, what's up, bro? Like we got this app. It's pretty new. We'd love to get you on there and we'll post your highlights and we'll share them on Instagram. And we would get them to post highlights on the app. And then we would take the highlights they posted. Um, at the time, the app didn't watermark them for us. So we would watermark them ourselves and then post them on Instagram. And the athlete would share them and say like, you know, family up on press sports would be a lot of the restory stuff and so people would start hearing about it through this ugc growth loop leveraging other social platforms and eventually we had a handful of heads of sports working for us and like we were i mean that that's that's how we started to acquire users amazing yeah but that's that's some serious and impressive entrepreneurial hustle doing it that way you know just kind of going right down into the into the weeds with the actual contributors and getting them to take a look. So good for you for doing that. Was, was there a moment in the first period of like, you know, post launch period, whether it was a month in or six months in or a year in where you and Drew looked at each other and said, aha, we're onto something like we think this, this is going to work. Um, I think we were just super delusional. Um, like, <laughs> okay. Like, I think like there was never a doubt in our minds. Like we didn't even question whether or not it was going to work. Uh, and I think that's super key uh, early on because like, you know, it's just such a roller coaster starting one of these things. And so we didn't care that our app broke every single night when 50 people got on it. We didn't even, we weren't even looking at metrics that matter, like active users. The only metrics we looked at was net new users. So we did not look at retention. We did not look at active users for the first year and a half. Um, We didn't even know that that's what mattered. No, we were just like, (laughs) like, like literally like, Hey, we're going to get as many people as we can on this thing. And, um, and I think honestly, it's really good that we didn't know that those were the metrics that mattered because it probably would have been pretty demotivating. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and interestingly, that's the way a lot of even more famous social networks were created where there was an emphasis just on getting more users, uh, revenue and marketing retention and stuff be damned. Uh, just was important to get to get users. So at what point then did you say, we wanna go bigger, we're gonna go actually raise more money beyond the initial investment you guys made to get the, get the, the app done? Um, well, we knew we needed to get more money because we weren't making money. Um, and so uh, we, um, you know, we got to the point where our original angel investor is, had tapped out. He goes, look, you guys got to find someone else to invest in this, or I can't just keep feeding it after $200,000. Mm-hmm. So we took a $10,000 loan from him, then took another $10,000 loan from him. And then we convinced one of our buddies our age to invest $10,000. Uh, he had no idea we were $20,000 in debt. And then we were almost out of that money. We landed a $50,000 investment and a $100,000 investment pretty soon after each other, which was huge. Um, and then 
we brought on kind of like a, a COO that was our age and to help out. And he, he was super helpful at the time, huge, huge pickup to just add another person to the team. And eventually we raised like $400,000 and then $750,000. And we just learned how to go about the process of raising money. It's not like, it, it took us a year and a half to get an investment. Yeah. And then wasn't there an even bigger raise a few months back this past summer or so? Uh, yeah, uh, two we over the past two months, we've closed on two million. Wow, congratulations. That's, that's very impressive. So what is resonating most in the pitches? If, assuming you're talking to these individuals, uh, either in person or on Zoom, and you're kind of reading the room, looking for the reactions, what, what part of the story is resonating best? Man, it's like, I feel like if we could go back in time, fundraising would have been so much easier, because we always try to get so in the weeds. Uh, we always were like trying to tell them everything about the business. And really you just, the, the reality of the situation is sports social is an unconquered category right now and we're leading the way. And so, you know, you can keep it relatively simple when you're pitching investor for the first time of, Hey, this is the opportunity. There's no sports social network right now. And we're leading the way. Um, we are creating the category right now. We've got all the top athletes on and we're going to own this space. Um, and, you know, the simpler the slide deck, the better, and they let, let them ask questions after that. Um, and so that's definitely going to be our approach, you know, going into our series A, uh, whereas like in the past, and like, I'm excited to implement this because we haven't, we've gotten so in the weeds and fundraising of trying to, kind of trying to like sell them on all these different aspects of the business. Cause we have so many use cases, um, between college athletes, high school athletes, middle school athletes, coaches, clubs, all the different sports, both genders. And, you know, you can almost just, uh, if you try to talk about everything, you, you basically, it's hard to accomplish a lot. Yeah, I mean, did the subject of NIL come up, especially during 2020 and 2021, because everybody knew it was coming. And then of course it started this past July. And if I, was in, if I had happened to be in that room listening to your pitch, I would be excited by the fact that NIL ties in nicely with this. So I'm, I'm sure that's part of the pit or was that part of the pitch? 100%. Yeah. We're going to, we're planning to roll out a college athlete creator fund in January. Um, and so we're, we're testing a few things out of the app right now. Uh, one of the most interesting of which is a mentorship kind of marketplace idea. So far we've connected five, um, high school athletes with college athletes for mentorship. And we've the kind of the pitch has been that we'll cover the first session, $30 for after a bunch of surveys, we found that high schoolers are about willing to pay like 25, $30. And that's kind of the average that college athletes want. And so they're in the process of having their first meeting that we're paying for where high school athletes are meeting with college athletes for, you know, paid mentorship, um, kind of like Plato IO for technology engineers. Mm -hmm. um, and It'll be super interesting to kind of continue to like hopefully get to where we've done like a couple hundred of these and just see what percent of them go to that second meeting and pay for it. Wow. Uh, and then if it's like a high hit rate, I think we would probably, you know, do something on our website before we integrate it into the app. And it'll be interesting. But I think that's a unique opportunity college athletes have. It's just and, and we've known from a bunch of our friends and people who use the app that uh mentorship a lot of time and like making sure you're making the right career moves and going to the right events and avoiding wasting money at the wrong events probably most importantly during the recruiting process um, it's just super valuable if you can talk to someone who's 
living your dream, who's playing at the level that you want to play at, whether you want to find a way to get a junior college offer or, you know, find a way to walk onto a D1 school, or you've got a ton of offers at power five schools, like talking to someone who's been in that position, they can give really good guidance. Conrad, another line kind of related to that, as we think about where these young athletes might be spending their time in social media. This was a quote from you in the, I think it was the Sportico story. In order for us to think as big as we want to think, we have to look at the time spent on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok and think, how can we get a piece of that? That was to me a very interesting quote because it, it implies that your, your thesis is that if you do this well, continue to, and, and even better as you iterate it, you can actually steal hours and minutes away from these young athletes to using those mainstream platforms. Do you have any evidence that that's actually happening yet with the couple of hundred thousand users you have now? I think, yeah, we're definitely getting time from our users. Uh, like, uh, no, no, but vis-a-vis, -vis, in other words, it, do you have any evidence that they're using the mainstream platforms less because this has actually become so important to them? I don't think maybe they're not, it depends on which users we're talking about. We've got the okay, younger users who aren't allowed on those platforms and right. when they are allowed with, they'll probably, those platforms would be stealing minutes from us, but right. we just, we've, we don't have evidence that would, would indicate to us that our users are using other platforms um, less, but I think just like, you know, our goal is we can only focus on what we can control is how can we get them to use it more? How can we provide mm -hmm. an experience that they stay on for a longer amount of time? Yeah. And are, are you seeing as the months go by more and more engagement as you iterate the product and, and add new features and stuff? Well, that's the thing is we've got to iterate the product a lot faster. Um, like we've definitely improved some performance stuff and added a, a few features here and there. Um, but like, you know, we haven't had game changing advancements to the product um, in, in, in a solid amount of time. And so we've got a, that's kind of the focus here over the next three to six months is like, there's some big rocks that we need to get into our product from ideas that we've heard from hundreds of people that the app needs. And those are the things that are going to most recently, we did get a big rock in there, which was video editing features, um, which is huge, because that's how, you know, people invest time into, into making their content better than it previously was. And therefore, they're going to want to show people that work. Um, and, and share that content. So that was big for us. But there's other things like channels, which allow you to dive into a specific thing. Hey, I want to watch, I'm a volleyball coach or I'm a volleyball player. It's class of 2023 in Texas. I want to watch liberos that are class of 2023 in Texas. I want to be in a content feed. That's how that, you know, we have reason to believe that that's how uh, we're going to be able to get our users into, you know, rabbit holes of consuming content that they know they're going to be interested in. Um, because, you know, the, the, the 10% of users that watch hundred percent, hundred videos or more every day, that's what they're doing. They're watching their, their hype zone kind of gets to the end of the, the algorithm that we built. And it's just content from people that are in their class or sport. And that's how they get into those, um, you know, long sessions on the app. Conrad, do you know what percentage of the users are, let's call them regular contributors slash creators and what percentage are viewers just consumers of our mau 35 to 40 percent are content creators which is okay. high for for social media but we're obviously only targeting athletes right now so you would kind of expect right. that 
Right. Are you giving them any, or, or maybe this will happen in the future when you grow and have more people to help you with marketing and, uh, and a customer service, but are you giving them any advice as to best practices for posting in a place like press? So that's something we have a lot of work to do on. We just integrated with CleverTap, uh, which is a you know customer marketing automation tool. And it's like crazy because we never sent any of our 200,000 users an email up until last month when we started our welcome emails and we're getting ready to segment them out. But that, you know, we're making a hire that has experience with CleverTap because there, there's a lot you can do with it. And, you know, we need someone experienced in, um, in setting up these uh, user journeys to educate all of our different user personas on exactly what we want them to do. Because what we need a coach to do is a lot different than what we need a middle school athlete to do and what we need a college athlete to do who might be in the creator fund and be able to be a mentor. And so that for us is going to be a full-time hire is kind of that customer lifecycle management position. So like we literally, I literally just started a LinkedIn promotion for the job. uh, Oh, wow. Cool. That's really, that's really smart move. It just seems like that could be a really nice, additional service that would help distinguish you guys particularly vis-a-vis the big the big players who are not necessarily very helpful let's say uh, when it comes when it comes to helping their uh, users um all right let me ask you a couple more things about um the fundraising side if you don't mind um there's the classic question in the investor meetings, which is, okay, you need X number of dollars. What is your use of proceeds? I'm gathering based on the way you're answering these questions that uh, your use of proceeds for this new investment capital would be primarily people and technology that, and, and marketing related to both. I mean, really for us, it's just technology, improving the product, you know, getting retention tightened up, um, significantly uh, building in and A-B testing all the different t- various types of growth loops we can have and how to make it as seamless as possible to when you join the app and you add in your experiences and there's rosters and it's like, how what, what's the most seamless way for you to invite your five teammates? Um, because we've got a super high net promoter score. Our users want their friends to be on the app with them. It's about, you know, making that happen in a way that that is uh you know, delightful to the user. And, and that's tricky. We've got a lot of work to do in the product around that. Yeah, you, you just used a phrase that may be familiar to some, but not familiar to others. Do you want to explain the, the NPS? Because I've been involved with products where that's been a key thing to look at. And as, as you probably know, there are many products that don't have good at NPSs. So talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I, you know, my understanding of the NPS, we just use the SurveyMonkey NPS calculator. Um, it's just, you know, users get on your platform and it's like, it, it, do they want to tell their friends about it? Right. Essentially. Yeah. Like a recommendation uh, metric. Um, and I think what everybody's learned in digital media and digital media marketing is that traditional NPS, which goes back many, many decades as a marketing metric, um, is even more important in digital media for, I think, obvious reasons, because if you can get friends, especially uh, in, in a generation that's living on digital devices, showing their friends, sharing with their friends, talking about it, that recommendation is going to ultimately be your best marketing as you go forward. Because uh, I, I, I would gather um, you're not doing any traditional advertising. Is that a safe assumption? 
you know, we did back in uh, April and May, we did, we did, we spent $75,000 in marketing uh, and acquired a uh, hundred thousand users in Q2. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. And right. we'll never do that again. <laughs> okay. So not so nice. Um, <laughs> All right. We'll talk about that. Like what, what, what happened? Well, you know, acquiring a hundred thousand users through paid ads is great. If that hundred thousand users turns into 400,000 users and 250 of them are there in six months. But yeah. when that 100,000 users turns into 20,000 users over five months, then that's a, that, that, that's a waste of money. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. And, and look, if, if you know the app game, which I know well, the amount of, uh, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people talk about just the downloads, just the gross download number, which really kind of means nothing because the percentages of, uh, products, uh, digital uh, mobile applications that basically just don't get used or deleted off the phone is, is crazy high. So customer acquisition becomes almost everything you got. And if you go out and spend that money in marketing and plenty of companies do this to get less than, val uh, less than um, uh, valuable customers vis-a-vis long-term value for uh, customer you know, customer retention, it doesn't mean anything. So you can walk into an investor meeting and say, "Hey, we got a hundred thousand users," but as you said, if they're not there in six months, or they're not the types of users you want to grow the business, it's a real problem. Yeah, and so it's actually like we had just stopped when we were raising our money, stopped investing in growth, and so our active user numbers were coming down a little bit. And and um, you know what we could prove through the data was that there was a growth multiplier; it just wasn't high enough to go viral but one out of four users was inviting a friend who successfully onboarded. It was generating a network effect of engagement in the app. The amount of time per session for both new and retained users was increasing because new users were spending twice as long on the platform and we had five times as many of them as we'd ever had. Um, so there's a ton more notifications flying around. And those two things alone, it's like, okay, there's network effects potentials and there's viral growth potential. We've just got to improve the product. So let's pull the growth spend and invest that money into the product. In fact, invest, you know, 1.5 million more into the product as well. We've got to, we've got to make this thing, uh, we've got to make it a crisp experience because we're just getting compared to TikTok right. and we're not as good as TikTok. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You probably have about 5,000 less engineers working for you. Um, Let's talk about monetization. You made a reference a few minutes back to a number that you thought was palatable to many young athletes in terms of how much they might invest. But I know right now you're focused on growth, getting more users, iterating the product, et cetera. But let's say two, three years from now, what is the, what is the business model look like? What, what is your nirvana with the way this is going to be monetized ultimately? Yeah, so we, you know, when, when you use the link, in comparison, you would want to think it's recruiting, but we really don't want to be a recruiting service. Um, we want to we want to be a, a social network that has an engaging experience, and people want to go on and consume sports highlights. And with the changes in iOS 14 that don't allow apps to track users outside of their platform, four percent of users are opting in. It's totally messing up our marketing, um, you know, stuff when we're testing creatives and different slogans to use because you can't track anything. And so. Um, what we're going to do is ads is it's, it's, we're going to be an ad platform and um, we have really, really strong first party data. We don't have to track our users outside of the app. We know that you're a catcher and that's a, that you're, you're a college athlete. That's a catcher in Texas. We know that if, if 
you know, we're going to be the only platform where a, a baseball company that's trying to sell catcher's mitts can target catchers. No, no one else knows that. Um, and so we have all that data first party. We're going to be out of coaches. Ideally, we want to build out a fan user experience for nowhere close to that. And we could, you know, be able to have an engaging experience for college sports fans to, to, to chat with or connect with or, you know, engage with the athletes that they look up to on a, on a deeper level than mainstream social media allows through kind of a sports specific feature set. And so ads is going to be our primary thing, but there's also a huge marketplace opportunity. Um, it, the hardest part about building a marketplace and why they're so valuable is because you have to get the, the, you know, both people, both parties in the same place at the same time. Right. And we have that with the, with the coaches, with the teams, with the athletes from college, uh, high school, middle school. Um, yeah. And so there'll be some type of marketplace. We're just trying to test and figure out which one it is. Conrad, how think how big do you think you need to be before you could go have conversations with brand sponsors? You know, I think we'll roll it out sport by sport. Like we've had cheerleading companies uh, approach us about putting ads in the platform already, uh, just because cheerleaders, for whatever reason, are really really hard to target on existing socials. Um, and we've got a rabid cheerleading community on the app. And so I think, you know, I think you'd want to be getting, um, you know, a couple million daily impressions in a sport vertical um, so that it's worth the bandwidth to go build in and have one exclusive partner and say, Infinity Cheer, you've got all of the cheer impressions. We've got 2 million a day. This is what, this is what the deal looks like for the quarter. Um, you can sign on and it's meaningful for us. Maybe that's, you know, two, three months road runway. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think it, it, it's an opportunity maybe to offer a more appealing share of voice, as they say, uh, you know, just being, let's say in one specific section of the app, this, the primary or sole sponsor and not have to share the commercial real estate, so to speak with competitors. Yeah. I think one problem with a lot of something we talk about in my class, uh, so many, especially websites and mobile websites are just so badly junked up at this point with um, just this uh, ugly type of advertising. It, it's, it's made for really poor user experiences. But I think when you're in an app, as you pointed out, you're not subject to that and you can do some things that are way more potentially valuable to partners. You just need to be creative, I think, with the way you do it. So. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder if there's some some cool things we could do with the college athletes too, to where like they could opt into having a sponsor on their posts if they're in the creator fund or something, and they get paid more um, for that. Or maybe they're not in the creator fund, and like Rowling says, we will sponsor all college baseball posts, or even high school nil is going to come down to high school. It's it's inevitable. It's already happening in some states, and um, you know, all their content, all the views have like sponsored by sponsor with a click through uh, to whatever deal they're they're pushing um no no it's a good question i'll be interested to see where it will go and this decision by apple to change these really important uh rules of the road that have been in place for a long time is disrupting the entire industry so you're not the only one victimized by that uh facebook has been complaining about it a lot the last couple of weeks as you may know uh, literally everybody's complaining about it so. I, don't know. I don't know why Facebook's complaining about it. I mean, they just made targeting kids under 18 pretty much impossible. I mean, any company that's trying to target, uh, 
users by interest that are under the age of 18 just pulled their budget from Facebook. I mean, you can only, if you want to go under 18, you can only target by age. And right. so it's like, well, we're not going to waste impressions on, you know, but like, might as well get a billboard. Right. Well, I think the, the thing that without going down this rabbit hole of the changes in the kind of the advertising uh, ecosystem right now, um, it, it really goes to show you how dependent the entire digital media industry has been on cookie-based targeting, which has been around forever, and how annoying it became as we as users would visit a site, let's say, to buy, uh, you know, let's say a new guitar, and then you go to some random site five minutes later, and there's guitar ads in your face, and then you go to your mobile mobile web for a different site, and there's guitar ads in your face. It is just really a, not a good solution, but the entire industry kind of accepted it. So it was kind of like the, the cookie advertising complex that got created and everybody knew it was annoying, but they lived with it and many didn't complain about it. I, for one, am glad we're moving on to the next phase, even though I know that there's some pain being experienced right now, but fortunately I don't have it. <laughs> so yeah, um, The weirder yeah. thing is when you're, you're talking about something and never typed it in anywhere and they're getting you with the ad. Well, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. When you wonder with <laughs> Siri and Alexa. Uh, yes. We've, I've heard, heard and witnessed stuff like heard of and have experienced stuff like that. Um, all right. We're going to get into our wrap up questions. Um, in a minute, I just want to ask one last kind of big picture question. If you could project out to 2021, or the end of 2021, let's say 2025, and you do the things you want to do, you get the money you need to get, you hire the people you need to get, what does this look like in 2025? You know, I think, you know, by then we would, would have been, you know, starting a, a pretty detailed global growth strategy, hopefully, um, and, and we're trying to you know, really focus on becoming the global sports social network, um, as opposed to just a dominant, you know, force in amateur sports in America, um, and, and really helping, you know, people in our country, you know, advance their career, show their journey from, hey, this is a social network. If you're a cheerleader in, you know, Scandinavia, which we have a Scandinavian, Scandinavian cheer squad right now, there's like hundreds of users every day that use the app and, and, and you know, Eastern or Western Russia and Sweden and Norway, but like that's, you know, we, we have, we're building that infrastructure for everyone offering in different languages and um, building out globally is where we want to be probably by then. All right. Or maybe you can get bought by one of the big tech companies for a billion dollars. That sounds like a good plan B. I hope so. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier that way. Uh, well, thanks for being honest in that answer. But what's really interesting to me is I think about your story and I think about where big tech is going in sports and they're going places in sports, as you well know. It will be interesting to see how they build up their assets, which are primarily going to, I think most of us would agree, are going to happen through acquisition, not through internal builds. So to the extent uh, you see and feel, well, more see, some people are feeling the pain of reaching young people in the attention economy and digital media, you might have a very attractive business for a large company that's having trouble. Um, and that is one thing that obviously is part of the whole Facebook controversy the last couple of weeks. 
the realization that it, their challenges with young people are real and they're somewhat existential in, in the nature of the threat um, to the point where they were desperately trying to do Instagram for kids, as you probably know, things like that. But you could see this being a problem for the big social companies over time. And to the extent that any of them, oops, excuse me, uh, that any of them um, are going to figure out ways to compete more aggressively um, without using the, the same old, same old approach that they've often brought to these challenges. You could see a spate of M&A in this area over the next couple of years. Anyway, that's my personal editorial opinion for the day for this podcast. You know, I think I think we'd be a really uh, good asset for for a bunch of different types of companies. It'll be interesting to to see. I mean, there's been some you know very light conversations up to now. Where I don't, it's not something we're interested in, and in the near future, we definitely want to build out a a, a ton more. Uh, we mm -hmm. want we want to crush a Series A, and we want to we want to you know stay focused on what we're doing, not think too much about that. Um, yeah, but it, that, that makes sense. Yeah, and look, just keep building, iterating, building, iterating, and you'll probably get some calls, I would imagine, over time, uh, more serious calls and, and perhaps more uh, um, enticing calls. So uh, hope, hope you can get there. All right, so I warned you about these last two questions we ask all of our guests. The first one is, tell everybody how you keep up. How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? You need to be on top of a lot of things right now as the CEO of a new company that is doing everything from building a technical product to building a social network, to raising money, to hiring people, to dealing with marketing challenges. So what are you doing? Man, I, I, wish, I wish I was doing more, honestly. I, I, I love uh, Mike Maples Jr.'s podcast, Starting Greatness. And I love listening to podcasts from other people that are starting companies. And um, I love talking to just other founders, whether they're, you know, have a lot to offer me and um, they're way ahead of me and have done this before and they can, you know, help navigate through all these obstacles that pop up every day. Um, or, you know, they're starting a company and they're trying to figure out if they need to bring on an additional co-founder, which is like, yes, if you don't have a technical co-founder, yes, bring them on and give them a lot of equity, right? As soon as possible. Right. <laughs> um, but that, that's, you know, I think, I think that's kind of like, I guess the thing I'm doing the most right now is talking to as many other, as many people who are starting companies as, as I can. And I probably should be like reading more books and stuff. I've just never been that good about it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the talking to people answer is a really good answer. And if you can't speak to people live, one of the great things that we have to our, uh, at, at, our, um, at our disposal, of course, are really good podcasts, as you pointed out, you, you gave one example, but there's a lot of smart people talking about most of these issues that we're dealing with with our respective business challenges, that it's there for the taking. And if you're willing to put in the time, maybe if your brain is fast enough, you do it on 2x speed so you can listen to even more podcasts. Um, something I don't do. I, I, I'm a 1x guy. Sometimes I even want to go half x, depending, especially if it's about crypto or blockchain. Um, but uh, anyway, so second question. So Conrad, you obviously jumped right into an entrepreneurial position literally right after college. You didn't have a traditional corporate job. You worked in some corporate internships as 
as, as we've read when you were in college, but you became an entrepreneur really young. You've been doing it for a few years. What kind of advice might you offer other individuals thinking about starting a new company, whether they're your age or, or they're in college now, or even if they're middle-aged? Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, the, the first thing is make sure you have the right team and knowing all the biggest, biggest, you know, needs of the company and someone can own every major need of the company between operations, you know, sales and marketing and product. Um, there needs to, you need to be able to check all those boxes on the founding team, um, which we didn't do. And it made it really, really hard. Uh, the second is that you need to make sure that, uh, you know, you can't, the reason you're starting the company is because you can't live with the idea of the product not existing in the world, not being a better place because of that. Um, because if you're starting a company, just because you're looking for an idea and want to start a company and you're not super passionate about the product, um, then when all these obstacles pop up and you feel like an idiot because you're making, you know, a lot less money than all your friends. I've, I've made $80,000 over three and a half years in salary and, um, and I don't care at all. I love it. Um, but it's like, and then you're getting told no from all these investors, you're going to quit. And that's why I like, you know, at our, at the incubator that we just joined, we were originally in, and now we're going back to as a signature company, there's 20 signature companies and 200 accelerate companies. And I asked the person who's starting it. Okay. So that means, you know, hundred and, um, 180 of the accelerate companies, uh, either, leave or failing. She said 50% of them quit when they could have been successful. Wow. Um, and so it's just a, you know, this, the success percentage is a lot higher than what people say. Um, because so many people quit when it gets hard because they're not super passionate about, uh, you know, their vision. So it's like only start, I guess my advice would be make sure you're starting something that you're extremely, extremely passionate about. Yeah. I mean, I think another way of saying it is that my experience of working with entrepreneurs and having tried something myself, um, well, two things, but one, one in particular where I was just on a mission, like you have to have fire in the belly and, it, and, and that's not something you can create. It's either there or it's not there to your point. Like I, we got to make this product and you kind of get obsessed with it. And I think you have to be so single-minded in working towards that success and find like-minded partners and team members who are going to go on that journey with you. That's really key. Um, and it takes a different, it takes a different brain to do it. And I think in a way, I mean, this has been stated many times in the discussion of uh, uh, the creation of startups and, and new co's and entrepreneurialism is that uh, it's, it's almost easier to do it when you're younger because you don't know what you don't know, you know, what you don't know. You know? So uh, anyway, I really admire you guys going for it, especially starting it so, uh, so soon after you identified the pain point. It's a really cool story. We wish you well as you build it. For everybody listening, what's the best way to find your stuff? I mean, I mentioned the app store, but that's an easy one to find. You just go search press sports uh, in the Apple or Google store. But what else would you want to promote Oh man, you just hit me up on LinkedIn. I pretty much look at everybody that uh, requests to connect and read all every message. So I'm, I, I like talking to people. Um, that's probably the best way. Okay. And then the actual uh, website is Press Sports App, correct? 
Pressportsapp.com. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. might be like what, something else, but if you type that in, it'll pop up. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I was looking before, but um, yeah. So everybody listening, uh, especially if you are a young athlete, meaning high school or college, or you're a parent of a young athlete, <clears throat> I would urge you to at least check this out and uh, maybe download the app check it out and jump into the fray. It's a really interesting new business. And uh, Conrad, on behalf of Columbia, we hope you uh, have a lot of success with it. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. Really appreciate it. Was, it. it was an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you to Ben and Taylor. Uh, great job on producing as always. Really appreciate that. Joe, we missed you. We'll see you next time. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.